Taylor Decker's on my All-22 fantasy team. Stop. They don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right, your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is going to, it's going to change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town where it goes down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. I hold it down. What's up, everybody? I know you missed me. Welcome into the All-22 Daily. I'm here with Ray. Ray's not by himself anymore. Uh, you got me now. Sorry about that, guys. I couldn't I couldn't fend him off any longer. We are coming off of a very exciting Sunday of football, chock full of football, and we got to see some of, honestly, the best opening week games that I've seen in a really long time. Uh, and there's a few players I want to talk about in particular at the quarterback position. Uh, and I'm going to start off talking about Tua. So every report going around is that Tua essentially had his best game of his career, throwing for over 400 yards, uh, three touchdowns, one interception. And he looked like kind of a new player, right? He he looks comfortable in the Mike McDaniels offense. We saw last year that the McDaniels offense got figured out a little bit at the end of the year. And everybody was asking, can he adjust? Can he come back? And can he be stronger? I think he showed that he could do that in spades. Uh, going against a very strong Chargers team. You know, I think there's a lot to say about Herbert's performance as well. He looked great as well. But one thing that I noticed in Tua's game that looked very different than last year is his way to manipulate the pocket something we didn't see much of at all last year, which honestly led to a lot of the concussions issues that we saw of him. So Tua being able to step up and away from pressure, being able to move his body a little bit, right, and get outside of the pocket and make a play on the run is something that he failed to do a lot last year. Um, just his awareness in the pocket, I thought was huge. Ray, what, did you have any takeaways from that game? Yeah, uh, my a big takeaway from that game was, holy cow, uh, J.C. Jackson, uh, that was a pretty rough performance, but, um, yeah, this is, this is healthy, you know, fully loaded Tua. This is what mm -hmm. you want to see it when, when Tua's is at the top of his game, when all is right, when he's not dealing with, uh, you know, head injuries or, or nagging hip issues from college. This is Tua. This is the guy that was taken in the top five of the NFL draft. That's for a reason because this guy can, he can play some serious football, we just haven't seen a hundred percent to a, it feels like his entire career in the NFL because he came into the league hurt and recovering. So you want to see this week in and week out, right? You want to see this last over the, the, the length of a season, but overall that's, that's as good a start as you could possibly ask for. And uh, you know, you hope to see more of that moving forward because the kid can play when he's on his game and he's healthy. There are two other guys in Trevor Lawrence and Patrick Mahomes that I thought had great games, but those are guys we expected to have great games. Mahomes was definitely let down by his teammates around him, uh, but we were n none of us are surprised with the performance that he put together. There was a group of guys that we were surprised about, and maybe not you and I, Ray, because we talked about Baker Mayfield, right? We talked about how he is a pro NFL quarterback that should be talked about as a middle-of-the-pack guy. People are talking about him not deserving the opportunity, right, that he was washed, Baker went out there and he won a really tough game, right? His offense was supposed to be underperforming. I think a couple times I even said, right, that that offense reminded me a little bit of the Eagles from a few years ago where we go, they have some aging stars. Should they rebuild? Should they rebuild? But it's like you have a star couple receivers. You have a star tackle. You have a decent offensive line. And you insert another quarterback and could it be okay, right? And Baker proved 
that he can do it, right? I I, I saw that. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly it. We we said this guy's steady. You guys are sleeping on him, and again, it's not that long ago. This guy was a top twelve quarterback on this platform and in this league. And it's not that he goes out there and he lights up the scoreboard and he just Patrick Mahomes is it all across the field. That's not his game. That's not what he does. He does have a little bit of, you know, mobility and some, you know, improvisation in his skill set. And and he does go to that sometimes probably too often, even when he doesn't need to. But like we said, this guy is a pro's pro. If something's there, he's going to take advantage of it. And that's what he did. There's going to be games throughout the season where he and that offense do struggle is not a weekly, just, you know, all 22 starter, you know, without a doubt, just pencil him in the lineup and move forward. He's not that guy, but when something is there, he's going to take advantage of it. And that's just what he did. And that's what you can expect them to do. So if you ever do need him and you know, the matchup is favorable, you're going to be all right. For sure. And there was five guys, right? So Baker Stafford, Jimmy G, Mac Jones and Brock Purdy all had excellent first games, guys that people are questioning throughout the offseason, right? But we've talked about a lot of them saying, you know, there is upside there. These are guys that you should you shouldn't just sell. But are we ready to buy any of them? No, 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 no. I'm not I'm not buying anyone just yet. Um, I have a few shares of, you know, we just talked about Baker just for that very reason of just kind of a steady backup if need be. Um but I'm not yet sold on on the Raiders and Jimmy G and and any of those other guys. I still think you know Los Angeles, the Rams. I still think there's going to be plenty of struggles there. Good first start, and it's not even so much so that like I'm out on Matthew Stafford. It's I'm still not convinced about everything around Matthew Stafford on a week in and week out basis to where I can trust putting him in the lineup because I think he's fine. I think I think he showed he's healthy enough, right? Coming off of last season, which was a question mark but I'm still not sold on everything else around him being up to par to where I can comfortably start him if I need to in any given week. I'm not there yet. He's the one guy that I might be excited about just because of the coach, right? Like we talk about how an elite coach can really elevate a player. And I think when you, you mix a guy like Matthew Stafford, who's probably, you know, when he's healthy, when he's got a good team, he's a top 12 quarterback in the NFL, you pair him with a top five coach in the NFL and it, and it does special things, right? It turns Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua into these all-star receivers, right? Like a pro bowl level receivers. So like I'm, I might be buying Stafford, right? I, I agree with you. The offensive line, we're not so sure about, you don't know if it's going to hold up against some of the better teams, right? The Seahawks don't have the best pass rush yet, right? That's a rebuilding team still, but it was very exciting. So love to see that. Now I'm going to flip the script. Kenny Pickett, Lamar, Geno Smith, Daniel Jones, Tannehill, Burrow. Are you ready to sell any of those guys after the rough performances they had? I mean, I was never in on someone like Kenny Pickett anyway. There was a lot of hype this offseason about him. And I was like, okay, maybe, you know, I, I guess. And then he he went out and did that yesterday. So um, I wasn't in on most of those guys. But at this point, I'm out on Lamar Jackson. I should have listened to my own take on on the podcast episode last week talking about take your franchise guy and just ride with him. I looked at my lineup and I was like, ah, I got Lamar Jackson. I have Trevor Lawrence. I was like, but Lamar is going against the Texans. So like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put him in there, right? He'll be fine. It's the Texans. And I was like, let me just see what Calvin Ridley and, and all those, you know, Jaguars weapons are about. Maybe it takes someone like Ridley a little bit to get going. And, you know, maybe he needs a week or so to kind of mesh with Trevor 
I should have never done that. Lamar Jackson did not look good at all. And it's probably going to cost me our matchup this week. Um, that, that sole decision. So I should have taken my own advice. Just ride with my own franchise guy, which is Trevor and don't get cute with matchups. I got cute with matchups. It burned me. So, um, I guess to that point, don't let week one sway you from your convictions, whatever they are, as far as being in or out on a certain quarterback, um, stick true to those convictions because I did not. And it just burned me. Right. And I think uh, the one I'm really concerned about is Geno Smith. Uh, I I talked about it a little bit this offseason. I think, you know, them paying him after one good year, after, you know, a a career of being a a really good backup quarterback uh, was a little strong for me. And I think, uh, you know, the 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 opening night got a little too bright for him and, and, you know, it didn't look good. It really didn't look good. Uh, Obviously, Aaron Donald's on the other side of the ball. He's going to bring that pressure. He's going to make things hard for you. But when you pay a guy. I think he's making like $150 million. Like he's got to perform. So uh, I'm definitely concerned about that. I'm, a, I'm pretty concerned about Daniel Jones, but you know, I've talked about how I think Dallas might be the best defense in the NFL this year. Right. So yes, we're giving Daniel Jones a hard time about his performance after getting paid, but I think he went against probably what could be a Super Bowl defense out there in Dallas. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to quit on Daniel Jones just yet until I see him play, you know, a lesser team. Let's talk about the rookies for a second. So CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, the three rookie quarterbacks taken all top five in the NFL draft, go out there and they looked extremely, extremely unready, right? And like rookie quarterbacks, Uh, zero big time throws, five turnover plays combined, turnover worthy plays combined. So what did you think of the rookies? Yeah, they they looked like rookies. Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Sometimes I'm a broken record, but I never draft somebody for what they're going to do for me in their rookie year. And that's exactly why franchise quarterback is obviously the highest, you know, the highest stage in this platform and in the league. Right. And performances like this just highlight again, the need for patience and the need for time. You can't just step in here and then just start slinging the ball around and think, and just be on par with guys who have been doing this for a long time. Right. Whether you're, someone who we believe to be some type of prodigy or whoever, if if you're a prodigal type of prospect and quarterback, I still can't expect you week one of your rookie season to go out there and be as steady as someone like even a Baker Mayfield, right? Early on in the season, you see that difference between someone who most people would believe is much more talented than Baker. If you're talking like a Bryce Young or Stroud or Richardson, right? But the experience or rather the inexperience of the rookies really shines through early in the year. And that's what we saw week one and what we're probably going to see, you know, here and there throughout the entire season, but especially the first half of this season for all the young quarterbacks. Yeah. So be patient with your franchise quarterback, but let's move to tackle. There was, there was three tackles that really stood out and that was Brian O'Neill, Zach Tom and Rayshon Slater. So Slater coming back from, an injured injured season, right? A missed season. And he's already showing that he's one of the best tackles in the league. I love to see that. And then Tristan Wirfs actually switching right from uh, right tackle to left tackle came in with a really strong 78.6. It had him top 10 out of all tackles. And then um, my guy, Bakhtiari on the Packers with a 78.3, another guy that dealt with a lot of injuries last year, came in and had a really good game. So uh, obviously you're the, the Slater guy. Are you super excited to see that? And are you excited about any of the other guys? 
Yeah, Slater, I mean, it, 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 it honestly was insulting, all these off-season lists, and he just wasn't mentioned or he was like the last name in, you know, top five young tackle. Like, he's so yeah. much better than that. He is, it, when he's healthy and he's playing, he has a legitimate argument for number one tackle in the league. He is that good. So I'm glad he was able to remind everybody week one. Um, I'll go to Tristan Wirfs, right? Switching from right to left, it's a big deal, right? We've heard all, different offensive linemen sort of uh, talk about that in the past, how it's not as simple as you think, right? It's, what do they say? It's kind of like uh, using the bathroom and wiping yourself with the other hand, right? Uh, when you switch from left to right or right to left. And he kind he came out of the gate and performed really well. And Minnesota has good pass rushers. You know, it's not like he, he was going against a bunch of dogs out there. No, he was going against stud pass rushers and was the second highest graded uh, offensive player on the entire Bucks offense. So he did what he was supposed to do uh, again, early on in that transition. May there be some speed bumps? I guess I would have expected week one to be one of those speed bumps for someone like Tristan Wirfs. And he kind of just, took the ball and ran with it. So yeah, uh, definitely props to, to Tristan Wirfs there. And those are two, you know, Wirfs and Slater, two young studs. Yeah. The two guys that I was excited about are the Packers, right? Zach, uh, Zach Tom and Bakhtiari playing tackles, uh, Bakhtiari on the left, Tom on the right. Tom played many different positions last year. He's now our right tackle. And it was a huge reason why the Packers had success. There were so many Aaron Jones runs that they were going right off of those guys' uh, rear ends. For huge gains, uh, I, I think if that can remain strong, I'm excited to see what Jordan Love can continue to do. If you saw uh, Jordan Love, you know, n- not to go back to quarterbacks, but I wouldn't get overly excited about his performance. A lot of it was routine, like open receivers making good plays, guys stepping up and making great plays after the catch. So I think Jordan Love, you know, let, it was a good start. It was a solid start. It's what you want to see. But he didn't do anything that really excited me. But what did really excite me is those two tackles. So if you have any of them, consider starting them again. Uh, but let's move to receiver, which was kind of all over the place, like a very different result than we have seen in past years. Obviously, Tyreek Hill having his huge game, had a 93 PFF grade, not surprising at all. But everybody after that, right, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Rashid Shahid, who you talked about, right? So I'm going to let you say a little bit about him. And then Puka Nukua, like a guy with an 81.3, the highest graded rookie receiver this week. Kind of cool stuff happening in week one. Yeah, we we tried to tell you guys. I mean, Rashid Shahid is is the real deal. Uh, and we saw him get behind that defense a couple times, had a big catch down the sideline too. Uh, uh, deep down, I think the left sideline there, again, showcasing that speed. He complements those other receivers in New Orleans so well. And that's going to be a big help for Derek Carr who's probably going to need it because that offensive line uh, didn't hold up as well as we would have hoped, I think. Um, So I think he's going to have to lean on those receivers a bit more moving forward here. And that was a good start there. Uh, Puka Nakua is an interesting one. A lot of people were hyping him up in the off season and kind of just wanted to see it first. Right. And, and we saw it, he he showed it. Um, And so, yeah, good. Good for good for Puka Nakua. I think someone's going to have to step up in that Rams offense, regardless of the conversation we had about their offensive line. They're still going to need someone on the outside to step up, and ideally, it's someone who has some of that prototype upside of a Puka Nakua. Uh, he just has that build, that frame, that ability that some of the other guys simply just naturally don't have. So, um, 
you know, again, I, th- I think that's a very encouraging sign. Obviously, one game. Don't want to get ahead of yourself, but it's a good start. And then kind of on the other end of the experience spectrum, if you will, right? Calvin Ridley, we touched on it a little bit at the start when we were talking about quarterbacks, but he also had a had a big game, um, you know, graded very well his first game back, uh, you know, for the Jaguars, had 57 snaps, so played basically a full slate and and performed well, didn't really show a lot of rust. Uh, obviously, we talked about Trevor and how lethal he can be. So Calvin Ridley kind of stepping into that alpha role at receiver is a big development for the next couple of years. Absolutely. Now let's uh, talk about some of the guys on the interior. That was uh, kind of the biggest surprise. Usually guards do not grade that well, right? It's like tackles are usually the highest graded offensive linemen. Guards took the cake this week. So uh, Vitae on the Lions, Quinn Muniz. John Simpson on Baltimore, a guy I don't know a lot about, so I'm excited to see more about him. And then Peter Skaronsky, the rookie uh, on the Titans that we kind of said, right? He's not a tackle. He's he's going to play on the inside. We thought maybe it was center. He, he ends up doing really well in his first game at guard with an 81.3. And then uh, at center, Tyler Linderbaum with a 76.1. Ray, do you know anything about John Simpson on Baltimore? Uh, yeah, John Simpson. Uh, I know he uh, played the, the Texans yesterday, so... He graded very well. He played the Texans. So we'll see how he does in week two. But uh, yeah, no, uh, John Simpson, fourth round pick from Clemson in 2020 uh, of the Raiders. So uh, that could be a situation where, again, bad organization kind of gets out of there, gets a fresh start and an opportunity for a very well-run organization with the Ravens. And now we just see what he does with it. Uh, Certainly a good start. But again, it was the Texans. So we'll see how he does moving forward. But this could be one of those ones that come out of nowhere and you go, who the heck is this guy? You find out he was just kind of in a wasteland the last three years. And now that he's got a shot at a good, at a good place to actually grow and develop as a player, he starts to blossom. So keep an eye on him, but we don't really have much more than that at this time. Right. So on the defensive side of the ball, we've heard a lot about Jalen Carter, but what we didn't hear a lot about is how good the entire rookie defensive interior class did. If you look at some of the performers there, Keanu Benton, um, Jalen Carter, obviously. There was another guy in the Rams. I don't know if you can look at his name really quickly, um, but there was a group of these rookie defensive interior guys that graded out extremely well. Jalen Carter with a 92.1 led uh, the Eagles in in hurries on the game. And then Keanu Benton for the Steelers, a guy you didn't really hear a lot about. Who you're thinking of on the Rams? Colton Turner, right? That's his name. Kobe, Kobe Turner, yeah. Kobe Turner. Yes. So three defensive interiors are like top 10, all of them in PFF grading uh, in week one. That is huge. That does not happen. So will this defensive interior class end up being more special than we even thought it would be? It could. I think what's interesting about interiors, right? And normally the closer you get to the ball, the the longer the sort of transition and adjustment period is to the NFL because you're just running into grown men. Um, mm-hmm. So you never want to do a victory lap after one week unless it's someone like Jalen Carter, who's kind of like, Hey, we thought he was this guy. He's showing to be this guy. Awesome. Don't get arrested and we'll be good to go. Um, for the other guys, it's a bit more wait and see. Although when we were going through our draft series, we liked a lot of these defensive interior guys. Obviously there was Jalen Carter sort of at the top of the board. Uh, even Mozzie Smith, he wasn't mentioned. And I know he's kind of got spot duty right now with uh, uh, Leonard Hankins over there 
in 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 Dallas as their sort of main uh, one tech defensive tackle. At least for now, I said Leonard. I meant Jonathan. I was thinking of Leonard Williams on the other side of the ball there for for New York. Um, but he performed well too, around a seventy grade, I think, at last check. So these young defensive interior guys, we were high on them in the draft. They showed some ability right out the gate, which is good. That's exactly what you want to see. But I would still expect some growing pain, some speed bumps. I wouldn't get too excited just yet and then just go full bore on making these guys your DT1 or DT2 if you can help it in your starting lineup because they are still rookies. There were some other young guys that were exciting and did well. Jordan Davis, obviously a top pick from last year's draft, again for the Eagles, 85.3 grade. Christian Barmore for the Patriots, 84.1. And then uh, Devontae Wyatt for the Packers, 82.5. So a lot of promising young defensive interiors coming up this year, uh, at least performing in week one. So that's really exciting. The edge group, right? This is one of the positions that always grades extremely high and it didn't fail us. It graded extremely high. Again, TJ Watt with a 94.4, excuse me, Miles Garrett with an 89.9, Max Crosby, Uh, 89.7, Will Anderson, rookie Will Anderson, 83.1. Again, another rookie guy just coming and performing at a very high level. So uh, I'm, I'm pumped about Will Anderson, but I'm really excited about Max Crosby. You know, a guy that, you know, I, I just always put my name in the hat for. I'm always going to take him in drafts. He just loves football. He loves football. I think he's grateful to be out there every day. There's not, you know, not every player is grateful to be out there. Max Crosby's a guy that he's like, I'm happy to be alive. And I'm happy to be playing football, he plays hard football. He goes after the quarterback every single time with everything that he has. Um, and when you look at his skill set against some of these other guys, Maybe he doesn't deserve to be talked about in those groups, right? He's not that guy, but he goes out there and plays his ass off every single week. So I love seeing his name again at at the top of the edge group uh, in week one. Yeah, he he absolutely crushed it and crushed me uh, in our league this week too. So a lot of blue over there on that defensive side of the ball for you, which uh, which hurts. But um, yeah, I mean, it validates what we've already thought of about the edge position, right? The edge rushers in the NFL right now are absolute freaks. These guys are just, you know, these the, these guys are just not normal, right? These are freak athletes. When you're 6'4", 6'5", 270 pounds, and you can run faster than almost every tight end in the league and almost as fast as these receivers, it's just a nightmare to deal with down-to-down for these offensive tackles. So you're going to have a lot of guys making a lot of plays, grading very highly. It's a deep position because as the league has evolved – these guys have just sort of been built to rush the passer and they're they're just at a point where they're so good at it now and what they do that there is a lot of them. Obviously, there's, the top ones are the top guys, but there's still a lot of good depth to be had. I think we saw that this week. Absolutely. And linebacker is a very difficult position to have repeated success, right? So the guys that we're going to mention today – I don't think I'm confident yet, right? To say, yes, you again, like you shouldn't start this guy. Don't plug him into LB1 just because he had a good week. But what was interesting to me is Indianapolis had Speed and Franklin both as their linebackers graded out 94.8, 92.2 with legitimate snaps. This isn't this wasn't really a rotation. These are guys that played legitimate snaps, starting level snaps, um, and they were the two highest graded linebackers for PFF. Uh, Indianapolis is good at this, right? Like that's a team that always kind of has good inside linebackers. So that was interesting, something to follow. And then Quay Walker for, again, for the Packers had a great game, 92.1 worth mentioning, right? He had that, that sick pick six where he ended up getting destroyed in the end zone by, uh, Darnell, Wright. 
Uh, but yeah, it was a very promising performance for him. So again, a position maybe just to keep an eye on. Don't get too excited about those guys, but so- something to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's super hard to predict. I think Quay Walker actually just pretty much highlighted that for me, right? Uh, I highlighted Asamoah, Brian Asamoah of the Vikings before week one as someone I was looking forward to seeing, and he got hurt after like two snaps and didn't play again. So obviously you can't predict that, right? But Quay Walker made me look silly silly, because I said, hey, let's stay away from this guy because his run defense and his tackling hasn't been the greatest. And with the Mm -hmm. style of play that the Bears play, that's kind of an issue, right? And I was kind of right. He had like a 41 tackling grade, right? He did not tackle well (laughs) throughout the game. But, I mean, he turned the game on its head in coverage, right? Using that athleticism that made him such a high draft pick. So it's almost like he took that sort of, you know, matchup issue and just, it doesn't matter because he's just that guy and um, turned the game on its head. So yeah, kind of like you said, linebacker remains incredibly tough to predict. Um, You know, the highs can be really high and they can make a difference in your weekly matchups because there aren't so many good ones that are going to perform well during a given week. So when someone does and they do so at that level, it's a huge help. Right. And we mentioned that the Dallas defense was incredible kind of across the board. But how about Stefan Gilmore uh, with an 89.9 PFF grade in his first start with Dallas? Again, everybody on that defense did well. Giants offense looked really rough. But you got to be excited about Gilmore being across from Diggs, who also graded extremely well, but not as well as Gilmore with that 89.9. And we talk about how Stefan Diggs just quietly keeps getting better and better and better, kind of in the margins of his game. Stefan Diggs has someone... been good for a long time. Did I say Stefan Diggs? Yeah. Trayvon, Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon. Yeah. On, man. Yeah. Yeah. Trayvon. Better and better on the, on the, on the margins of his game, right? And Stefan Gilmore being in that locker room now and across from him just kind of helps accelerate that even further. And that was on display uh, this, you know, last night, Sunday night football where Trevon Diggs, I think the main knock on him, he got better in coverage down to down throughout last year, but he was not physical, right? I think there was, he got a lot of flack for his performance in San Francisco in that um, divisional round game to, to end Dallas' season last year for his lack of physicality that may have cost them the game. And then you see him hawk down a receiver, force a fumble, have another big hit throughout the game. So again, everything is just kind of slowly rounding into form for someone like Diggs. And if Stephon Gilmore at, what, 33 years old can hold up that type of performance along with everything else that's there in Dallas, we talked about Deron Bland, sort of the slot corner there as a sleeper for this season as well, who had five interceptions last year, came away with another one last night as as sort of a playmaking young cornerback as well. So if that all holds up, they all just kind of feed off of each other and they all make each other better from just whether you're talking about just across the secondary or from the inside out of that defense, starting from the defensive front out to the backers and safeties. It's a pretty well-built unit out there. And I think everyone is benefiting from that in Dallas. Absolutely. Uh, three other corners just to mention here is Tyson Campbell with an 89.2, Pat Sertan with an 82.2, and like we said, Trayvon Diggs with an 80.7. So you got two corners in Dallas grading out above 80. Got to be excited about that. But you also got to be excited for these young corners, again, doing well. Um, moving to safety, Jesse Bates, the Falcons fans rejoice. 94.5 in his uh, debut. That's incredibly exciting. Got to be pumped about that. 
Grant Delpit with a 91.3, and then Javon Holland with an 86.4. So again, a lot of youth doing really well, but a guy, a veteran in Bates leading the pact. Yeah, a lot of those guys had down years last year too. To see to see them bounce back is is big, right? We we talked about, hey, we need some of these playmaking safeties who have done it in the past to do it again because it's kind of like they took a year off and there was no one out there that you really trusted at the safety position, uh, which is a bit of an oxymoron given what it's called. But um, to see that, I think, was a great start, and that's from whom you want to see it. You want to see it from those young guys. You don't want, uh, I don't know, a 30-year-old Marcus May-type safety to, to show out week one. You go, oh, that's great, but I got him for, what, a year or two? Uh, so if these young guys can keep it up, that's that's what's going to really help shape the the future of the safety position moving forward here for the next few years. It has to be those guys. So good start for them. Absolutely. Ray, is there anybody else you wanted to talk about with week one? So it's not someone in particular, but one thing I noticed, and I'm going to use one player as an example of this, is that well-roundedness matters when it comes to your overall grade, right? For example, someone that a lot of people had their eyes on, if we're sticking or going back to the cornerback position, for example, is Derek Stingley. And he turned in a 56 grade uh, in week one. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's discouraging. His grading was was poor last year. Is this just more of the same? What's this going to look like moving forward? He had a 65 coverage grade, which is just fine, which is it's perfectly fine. Gave up one catch for 20 yards and actually had a good tackling grade. But his run fits were horrible. And he had he had a 29 run defense grade, which really just brought his entire effort down. And that goal line effort, uh, I forget which exact touchdown it was, was just atrocious. He kind of like, you know, threw a lame shoulder at the running back right at the goal line and then kind of just spun out the way. Uh, just really poor there, right? And so I don't know the answer to it yet, but is is that encouraging? Because the coverage kind of held up fine. And theoretically, since you're not facing the Baltimore Ravens every week, you're not going to be stressed as much in the run game by most other opponents. Or is it more the same, just another poor grade from a young player that you're hoping to see a next step from and you didn't see it? I'm not sure which one yet. I'm just keeping an eye on it. But it just kind of goes to show that just because you know, there's CB next to your name and you're a cornerback doesn't mean you could just go out there and just play coverage for three hours and think you're going to come back and get a great grade. If you're out there missing tackles, not really, um, you know, filling the run or keeping contained on outside runs or, you know, things of that nature. So everything matters. It really does pay to have well-rounded, complete players in your starting lineup. And I think Stingley's performance this past week just kind of really highlights that. There were a few players like that. I mean, especially at the quarterback position, right? We talked about Jordan Love earlier, just doing enough, right? But not really showing the upside that you want to see. But Justin Fields on the other side of the ball, I think, you know, kind of to what you're saying, Ray, there were aspects of his game that were promising. One thing I really liked was his pocket presence. uh, Something that, you know, last year he probably would have just chosen to run, right? Like play breaks down, he just took off. This year I saw him try to sit in the pocket and manipulate the pocket a little bit, buy himself more time to see if his receivers were getting open. And I think now he needs to take that next step of, okay, can he, can he throw a receiver open? Can he, can he anticipate a receiver being open? I don't think he's there yet. I don't think he trusts his receivers enough yet. You know, the DJ Moore relationship is still young, but there are players, there's plenty of young players in the league like that, that are doing little things better than they were before, but need to kind of get that well-roundedness that is going to effectively make you a really good player in all 22. Don't give up on them yet, right? I think 
One player that I might give up on, Chase Claypool. I don't know if you saw some of that, but it was pretty atrocious. Uh, seems like he doesn't want to be there, um, but I don't need to beat a dead horse. <laughs> He'll be on your TikTok reel now that she's mentioned his name on here when when you lock out tonight. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and just real quick, you're probably going to say it anyway, but just, you know, as we record here, it's the early part of the Monday night football game, and uh, we'll see what ends up happening with this Rogers uh, injury situation here. Obviously, that's a huge, it has huge implications for tonight, tonight's game and the rest of the season. Hopefully, it doesn't come to anything like that, but um, something we're keeping an eye on. Yeah, well, if you're watching the game, enjoy it. Hopefully, Rogers comes back and is able to put on a show for everybody. But if not, hey, hopefully Zach Wilson, like we talked about, is a young player, shows some progress tonight. Uh, but enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you later this week. Thanks for tuning in.